1: Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as The Iron Fist and The Velvet Glove. We're back. Episode 393, The Iron Fist and The Velvet Glove podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me as always, Scott The Velvet Glove. G'day
2: Trevor, g'day Joe, g'day listeners. I hope everyone's well.
1: We're all well. And Joe, the tech guy. Evening, all. Right. So, yes, another episode. What are we going to talk about tonight? What's been going on in Australia and around the world? Let me see. We're going to be talking about, just a quick mention about global warming, a little bit about AI News Corp, Richard Marles, Defence Minister, a bit about Indigenous education and a little bit about California and Proposition 209, I think it was. What was it? California was Proposition 209, which was when they removed affirmative action and replaced it with a sort of a diversity score. So, or no, an adversity score. So, we're going to talk about that. All right. If you are listening on your podcast app, you'll see chapters. If you don't like any of those topics, you can skip over them. And you'll see pictures occasionally with the chapters because sometimes there's some graphs or some charts. So you'll see those. Thanks to Nick at Vizzy. Hello, Nick, who listens occasionally. Before we get on to stuff, got contacted. Remember I said that Liam, one of our listeners, gets frustrated with Scott because he poo-poos the Greens, but in reality probably should be voting for them. And Mm. and is quite dismissive of them. them. It's quite dismissive of them. Without good reason, it was felt by Liam and others, probably, no doubt. So I suggested Liam should have a debate with you, and he he got in contact and said, yeah, that's a good idea. So, Scott, he's emailed you with some topics and thoughts, and hopefully next week he'll come on and you'll have to justify this obstinate position you have for no good reason against the Greens. I've got some very good (laughs) reasons We'll see how good they are. Well, that'll, that'll be yeah, fun.
2: exactly. And you know, it's it's like in his email and all that sort of stuff. I don't disagree with a hell of a lot he's written there, but oh, yes. there's just one overriding reason why I can't trust them. So anyway, I'll leave that till next week. Oh, oh, okay.
1: What what's the what, what's the one overriding reason? Just remind us. I don't um, have to keep a secret. No, it's no, all they, open. Okay, all right. We want to have a full and frank discussion here. All what's right. The one, well, what's the one overriding reason?
2: They are the party of protest. And, you know, you have to only have to look at the way their two elder statesmen, Bob Brown and what's her name, the woman that took over after he left, Christine Mill. Right. You know. The way the two of them hold up protesters like they are some sort of sacrosanct person that can't be ever criticized or anything else. And, you know, I tend to agree with them over their opposition to the state governments that are trying to crack down on protesters. But surely protest is something that's only temporary. And while i agreed with a lot of the climate change protests that were actually going on you know the sort of infantile manner in which they blocked traffic and did that type of thing i, I honestly believe that that sort of protest it's just designed to piss people off it really sticks in people's throat and it doesn't do anything so That sort of protest, I can understand why the state government wants to crack down on that. You know, the Adani coal mine disaster was an absolute fucking joke. And that was Bob Brown that was actually pushing that. Mm. You know, now that was an absolute disaster for the Labor Party because the Greens were asked not to do it, they went and gave the middle finger back to them and said, no, we're going to do it anyway. So they drove their electric vehicles up through,
1: up through central Queensland. and So their main reason is you feel I have an infantile style of protesting, which is Yeah, absolutely
2: they do. So it, is know, that it in a nutshell? It's in a nutshell. And part of it is already starting to creep into Parliament. Max Chandler, whatever his name is. You know, it's
1: what did he do infantile in Parliament?
2: Okay. It's just the whole process that they're saying that we've got to, you know, that they they're blocking they're blocking Labour's policy on housing. Mm. Blocking it because the, the Labour Party will not let them have a rent freeze and that type of thing. They're refusing to listen to anything. They're just demanding rent
1: freezes. Well, blocking it once got them an extra two billion dollars.
2: I don't put them an extra two billion dollars, but that's nothing. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, okay, they blocked it once, but now it's blocked and they're, they're now going to block it again. And what's the point? You know, all it's done is given the, is given the government the double dissolution trigger, which they probably won't pull because they've bet everything on the voice referendum. So I don't think that they'd be stupid enough to go in for, I don't think they'd be stupid enough to also go in for a double dissolution while that was on the, on the table because they're probably going to lose that. So I don't think they're going to actually do that. But would it really matter if they did actually take them apart on housing policy? No, I don't think it would.
1: All right. If that's, the, that's your main complaint against the Greens is the the style of infantile, yeah, unproductive absolutely. protest. hmm Okay. Well, that'll give Liam something to work with.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, no you, you're, you're setting me up for failure, which is fine.
1: No, mm-hmm. I'm just saying he's got giving him something to work with. It's, now he knows your position more clearly. He can try and convince you, persuade you.
2: Well, he can well, try, but he's going to fail because I'm not interested. Oh.
1: Was it was it with you the other day? I can't remember where this happened. Where I I had to admit that I don't think I've ever changed anybody's mind on anything. Was it were we doing that live on this podcast? Or was that in private at a pizza function? I can't remember. But well, that was probably at the
2: but, pub where we were there on Saturday, wasn't
1: y- it? Y- yeah, just like. I really can't remember changing somebody's mind. So, Liam, in all the years I've been doing this podcast <laughs> and all the arguments I've made and the 50,000 downloads or whatever it is, I really don't know that I've changed anybody's mind on anything if they were, had a firm opinion. If they were a bit 50-50 and were ready to be swayed, okay, I might have tipped somebody one way or another, but I don't know that I've actually turned somebody around So significant way,
0: Trevor. What's your best evidence for that?
1: (laughs) Because nobody's ever told me, nobody's ever said, Trevor, you changed my mind. Maybe they surely they would if they had. Here's your chance in the chat room Have I changed? Have I ever changed your mind on anything? He agrees with with
2: the velvet
1: glove on that one. It's fine. Is there? G'day, Shay. How are you? Yeah. Shay's there as well. Shay, Shay felt that a lot of my arguments, while logically correct, fail to take into account the passion no, sure. and the emotion of people. Because you're soulless. You're, well, you're I was a thinking. Robot. I was thinking of it, Shay. Just just call me Mr. Spock. Is, right. that, is, that, is that the argument, Shay? That it's a, it's a Mr. Spock?
2: <laughs> I don't think Mr. Spock would actually be opposed to Ukraine actually fighting back. You
1: know, oh, well, well, that's another one we can argue about. Dan, Dan in the chat room says, Have you ever turned anyone? Well, that's a very leading question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, that, not in that way,
3: Don. Not in that way. Yeah. So, look,
1: that's enough chit chat.
3: <laughs>
1: Fair well, enough. Quite confronting, Shay. You know, I'm, I'm going to deal with that that accusation over time. You, you've cut me deep with that one. Well, you know, a,
0: hang on, you're saying you feel that? Yeah, I do. I do ah. feel it. And Mr. Spock wouldn't feel it. <laughs> right. So there
1: you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: No, Mr. Spock is actually half human, half Vulcan. So he still has some part of him that is human.
1: Yes, yeah. he understands human emotion.
0: He just Ooh. suppresses them. He, he, he
1: understands and just works with it. Well, of course you're going to charge off over that hill madly without even thinking about it. Off you go. I know you're going to do that. Maybe maybe he'll occasionally apply one of those Vulcan grips to sort of knock Kirk out to stop him from hurting himself. But otherwise he's sort of fully aware of human nature and just takes it into account. Yeah. Sing out, anybody out there, if I've changed your mind on anything of significance. Anyway, you have Mm. changed my mind
2: over China, but I'm still disagreeing with you over Taiwan because the Republic of China is an independent country and should be left alone.
1: Mm. Okay, let's talk about. Oh, I have these in the wrong order, but let's talk quickly about what's been in the news lately. And I reckon global warming. Yeah, in the news lately
0: was Uh, no doesn't exist.
1: No. No, it doesn't exist. So there's a chart showing the temperature in a red line for 2023, which is way past what the last. And all those grey lines are basically temperatures since the 1940s every year. And the coloured lines are recent years. The red one is the current 2023. Clearly, we are a couple of degrees higher than we were 80 years ago. And Or, yeah, about eight years ago. And, you know, stories coming out of Europe with incredibly hot summer and climate events happening. It's all just going to get worse. And I can't see anything being done of any significance to change it. And, you know, at 59 years of age, I turn later this month. Give me another 20 on this planet. I'll probably not see the worst of it, I'd say. But it's the younger people who are going to be paying the price and it's going to get ugly.
0: And I, I'm curious as to how they calculate the global temperature. I think they've got a, a statistical bias of weather stations in the Northern Hemisphere because, mm-hmm. of course, in the Southern Hemisphere it's winter. And um, therefore you'd think that the warmer day would be, assuming the same number of stations north and south of that, the, the equator, that you'd get kind of a, a, a permanent balance.
1: Wouldn't mm-hmm. it just be an average of all of the surface temperatures over the globe?
0: Yeah, and what I'm average, saying is... On average,
1: they're two, two degrees higher. Oh, no, no, but if you look at it, it's, it's
0: 17 degrees.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Of the, Well,
0: uh, global surface
1: air temperature, I guess on the oceans.
0: I, I'm just thinking that, yeah, maybe we've got half a million stations north of the equator and... Mm. Yeah, a quarter of a million south of the equator, just because yeah. there's less land mass.
1: Mm. I don't know,
0: Joe. I would have expected the average to be lower, is what I'm saying.
1: Oh, I see. Lower than 17 degrees. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I assume the statistic, the Guardian Cause, put cause, it up.
0: Because, yeah, if you look, 1st of January, average temperature 13 degrees, 31st of December, 13 degrees. Middle of June or middle of July, 17 degrees. Mm. So it's obviously following a northern hemisphere heat cycle. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Just curious. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah,
2: that's clearly, it's clearly something that they've taken from the northern hemisphere, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Mm.
2: But it does say global. Mm -hmm.
3: Good point, Joe.
1: We'll look into that statistic, hmm. see what the story is. Okay. Well, it'd be interesting to see what the, what the data was from the southern hemisphere, wouldn't it?
2: You'd assume that it'd be higher in December and January but lower in July.
1: We'll see what the explanation is for that one. But, yeah, May, yeah. Point, Jane. You're right. North and south equal oh. out, should be, yeah. Hello, somebody sent us some... Uh, spam. Spam, and he's really... Going for it, glorious yeah. spam,
0: spam, spam. All
1: right, on to the first topic. Although it was global warming. AI is in the news a lot. Scott, are you using any AI in your day-to-day work?
2: No, I'm not. Mm.
1: Joe, are you? Sorry, are you using, using AI. Mm. Right. So I get the feeling people are using it to construct initial emails, which they then massage, or maybe reports, or things they have to do, and they want something to start. A bit of a head start on something. That's typical use of AI, using it to clean up things. Maybe they've prepared a report or an email that they want it sort of the grammar checked or just tightened up. So, anyway, from the shovel, they've they've done some investigative work, and News Corp Australia revealed this week they're using artificial intelligence to generate three thousand articles a week. That's actually true. So. They admitted that they're doing that, and they're saying that it's sort of overseen by real people. But a lot of stuff is generated. Three thousand articles a week, for News Corp, generated by AI. And uh, The Shovel claims they were leaked a Chat GPT screenshot showing the prompts used to write one of the articles. This is the real skill, I think, Joe, with AI and Chat GPT is the prompts that you ask for, the little recipe that you use to get what you want. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is apparently what people are using in News Corp. For example, write an article about how wokeness is causing inflation in Australia. Must include the words, African gangs, cancel culture, Anzac spirit. Young people just don't want to work anymore and it's not racist because Muslim is not a race. The article must also... Link rising inflation to the increase in the number of gender-neutral toilets. Demonise a prominent Australian woman for speaking her mind without asking permission. Include three entire paragraphs on the ABC. Use the word elitist unironically when referring to people who criticise mining and media billionaires. And include a wildly inaccurate pie chart. I think they also left out, must somehow criticise Greta Thunberg along the way. So... I think that that's actually how they probably are producing them in there. Mm. Scott, Sinead O'Connor, were you a fan? She passed away.
2: Well, I knew she died and all that sort of stuff. I couldn't work out how she died
0: no.
2: because she apparently became a Muslim and all that sort of stuff later in
0: life. Mm. So,
2: she was I assume
0: that, sorry? said she was not a well woman.
2: Yeah, I know, and I knew she had been institutionalised and all that sort of stuff throughout her life, so I thought to myself, maybe she might have topped herself with drugs or something like that, but the family has not given a cause of deaths. It's purely just speculation as to how Mm. she actually
1: died. Seems to be when that's not revealed that the assumption is it's something like that. Uh, Yeah. mm. So on the plus side, in 1992, she ripped up a picture of John Paul... Of pope John Paul II on US television in protest against the paedophile church officials. A week later, she was booed off the stage at Madison Square Garden during an all star tribute to Bob Dylan. The crowd didn't like her ripping up a picture of the Pope. So,
0: yeah. well, ahead of that time. was before Spotlight. Yes. You've seen the movie.
1: Yes. Probably at the time, people thought, what are you talking about? It couldn't possibly yeah. be paedophilia. Catholic Church, what a terrible thing to suggest! Mm. You know what? If a Pop started today, probably still protest and get booed off the stage. Why mm. accept the truth?
2: Don't know actually. Mm. I think there'd be a very different behaviour now because we've, you know, everyone's accepted it that it is a fact of life that the priesthood is full of kitty fiddlers. So as a result, I think to myself that they. They don't have any, any leg to stand on, really.
1: Yeah, but in America, Trump is still leading the polls.
2: Yeah. But, and with all yeah, that's yeah, going is, on. Okay. So it doesn't yeah.
1: matter that, yes, the, the Catholic Church is guilty of pedophilia. There would still be people who would be going, well, we're still going to vote for him. You can't do that. You can't abuse our, our religion.
2: That's, that's the to do with the primaries, isn't it? This is where he's got the... Gallup leading,
1: isn't it? Well, he's leading the Republican primaries. But if there was a vote today, on the current polls, he would win.
3: Really? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a
1: concern. Yeah. So, who knows what would happen if, if a pop star abused the Catholic Church in that Anything's possible in that country. But on the sort of on the minor side, in 2018, she converted to Islam, calling it the natural conclusion of any intelligent theologian's
2: journey. God knows how. Mm. You know, trouble we, we never saw her wearing a hijab or anything like that,
0: did we? No, there are photos of her wearing a hijab. Oh, yeah. there are other. Okay. And, and she is... changed her name as well.
1: Hmm. And this is kind of the point that somebody made is that in Western media, the photos that have come out of her are all, all ignore that aspect of her life <laughs> and perhaps a sign of just a Western
3: bias, if you like. Fair point.
1: Closer to home, Australia-USA relations. So it was announced that USA spies are now going to be embedded in our defence force to help us. That was how it was originally reported by the ABC and then they changed the headline shortly afterwards to call it USA Analysts rather than Spies. But hey, Spies, embedded in our defence force. for analysts. Yes, heaven forbid. We couldn't possibly do it ourselves. And, we... and,
0: and I thought it was ASD they were being embedded in. Mm. ASD Australian signals Directorate that's the same, same as the NSA, okay is that part so, of defense It is um, right. so they monitor enemy communications,
1: yeah, so let's just have another country's you know well we've already patriotic got, citizens um,
0: with, within our own we've already got what said haven't we what's the huge NSA pine gap. post pine Gap yeah, but at least.
1: At least with that, it's theirs and they run it and we don't even pretend. But well, but having them wandering around our own corridors, snooping around on our behalf, for five,
0: five, five Eyes was all about spying on your own citizens, which of course is against the law. So you get another country to do it on your behalf and pass you the information they found and you do it for them. Ah, oh, I see.
2: They can and that's exactly what they do. They've got yeah. the British that spy on the Americans and the Canadians that spy on the Americans. Yeah. You know, over here, probably the Kiwis spy on us. We spy on them.
1: Mm. Anyway, it's just ludicrous to have USA spies embedded within our, our apparatus. It's insane. We're going to make some missiles to sell to them, apparently. I don't know how we're going to suddenly acquire the skills to make missiles, but we're going to make missiles to sell to the US. Well, I thought that was
0: what Woomera was all about. It was a missile test range down in South Australia. Yeah.
2: but That That was where we tested the British A-bomb, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. Well, next door to that was a missile test range, and I Hmm. thought that was for testing Australian missiles that we'd built. Okay.
1: Well, we're going to be building some for the Yanks. Okay. And that's... You are know, supposed to be happy about that and excited because there's a shortage of ammunition now, as the war in Ukraine has apparently shown. And uh, despite all that, when we ask the US, hey, what about Julian Assange over there, rotting away in Belmarsh Prison? Yeah, reckon you could let him go? Well, they say, oh, there's a risk to security and, you know, we have our own interests there. And you'll just have to understand there's nothing we can do. And our. But well, the Australian
0: government he's just rotting in,
2: He's rotting in a British prison, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, Bill yes. is
0: British. Yes. Because yeah, okay. so, he hasn't been extradited yet.
2: Okay. So the, the Brits are arguing about his extradition to the courts, are they?
1: Well, well thought, it's the appeal agreed. process at the moment. Yeah, so, they'd agreed
0: that he could be extradited and then yeah. obviously this is the appeals. He has to exhaust his appeals because he said effectively... He's committed no crime. Yes. Well,
1: what's more, it was supposedly a US crime and he wasn't in US territory. Well,
0: supposedly he was arrested for a Swedish crime.
1: But the reason why the Yanks want him extradited is for a US crime, yes, which he supposedly committed even though he wasn't in US territory.
0: And wasn't a US citizen.
1: Correct. I mean, you talk about the, the long reach of the Chinese police state, and here we've got the Yanks grabbing an Australian citizen out of Britain for supposedly committing breach of a law, and he was not never in the USA. It's extraordinary.
0: I, I was listening to a podcast about a Russian citizen getting picked up because he was wanted for hacking, and he eventually got, Ah, oh, I can't remember what country he was in. But basically he got arrested there and they were going to expel him and effectively as soon as they expelled him, the FBI were waiting in the country to grab him and extradite him to the US. Right. Oh, sorry, not extradite him because they had no extradition treaty. To grab him, put him on a private jet, fly him back to the US.
1: And, and get details out of him or...?
0: Oh, this was credit card fraud. Right. Okay. So he was he was wanted for selling millions of credit card mm. on the black market.
1: Yeah. So Bernard Keane in Crikey wrote an article about Richard Miles, and uh, and linked with this whole sort of Julian Assange and our relationship with the USA. So so we had a recent visit from Anthony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State, and according to Bernard Keane and Crikey, Anthony Blinken is a liar. To be specific, his statement at the weekend that Julian Assange's actions in leaking the US cables, quote, risked very serious harm to our national security. So that is what the allegation is from Blinken, that what Assange did risked very serious harm to our national security. It
0: did. It made them look like idiots.
1: Yes. That's the only harm it did was just yes. embarrass them. So yes. So what we've got is Bernard Keane lists some of the evidence that there was actually no genuine harm to US security, just embarrassment. And he's got four points to make that sort of along that argument. He says, this was a Barack Obama's defence secretary at the time, Robert M. Gates said, quote, I've heard the impact of these releases on our foreign policy described as a meltdown, as a game changer, and so on. I think I think those descriptions are fairly significantly overwrought. The fact is, governments deal with the United States because it's in their interest, not because they like us, not because they trust us, and not because they believe we can keep secrets. Other nations will continue to deal with us. They will continue to work with us. We will continue to share sensitive information with one another. Is this embarrassing? Yes. Is it awkward? Yes. Consequences for US foreign policy? I think fairly modest. So that was the. Defence Secretary. Then the Department of Defence in a secret report obtained by BuzzFeed in 2017 said there was no significant impact. Disclosure of the Iraq data set will have no direct personal impact on current and former leadership, US leadership in Iraq. The third proof was officials of Blinken's Department of Briefing Congress in 2010 and said, quote, we were told the impact of the WikiLeaks revelations was embarrassing but not damaging. And at the trial of Chelsea Manning, the US military officials said, I don't have a specific example when asked to confirm the much-vaunted claim that the releases had placed the lives of US sources in danger. so And of the course, US, she's been pardoned. Yes, yes. So the US government itself on multiple occasions, has said it's embarrassing, but no significant damage has been done. The journalist releasing
3: information and now, this week, Labour
1: government, Albanese and Miles just don't
0: see the care. Greens wouldn't stand for it. The
1: Yes, Liam, jot that down, or probably Scott. Maybe he doesn't care that much. I don't know. Do you, you care about, you have a strong opinion about Julian Assange?
2: No, I wouldn't his say strong, but uh, I think he's been in prison long enough. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's one of those things. That, and you're not outraged? Yes and no. I, I just think to myself that he did something bloody stupid. He poked the bear. Well, he poked the eagle. And, you know, now he's complaining because the eagle's bitten him. Stupid or brave?
0: Definitely valuable.
2: Well, of course it was valuable because you know that that, that footage that was released in the US the US you know,
0: collateral damage or whatever it was called. or yeah.
2: when they shot up when they shot up those three guys in in, in that Iraqi
1: place. Multiple multiple war crimes have been exposed, yes, yes. Exactly.
2: Yeah, so I've got no problem with that. And I also think to myself that he's been awarded a international prize for journalism, hasn't he? Mm-hmm, various yeah, ones. So that means that the Yanks can't prosecute him because he's a journalist.
1: Well, Yanks can do whatever they like, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that's but, what they try but to but do. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just interested. Joe, are you outraged? You're not so outraged? You're, oh, I am. appalled I, by
0: it? I, I am appalled by it. And right. uh, come on, even Barnyard Joke is appalled by it. Barnyard Joke? Barnaby yes.
1: Joyce. Oh, Barnaby Joyce,
0: right. Yeah. It's okay. one, of, one of the most outspoken politicians. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Apparently, one of the WikiLeaks early on was about Richard Miles. So the US diplomats had meetings with him, and there was a cable that was released by uh, WikiLeaks from 2009 that revealed that in the opinion of the US... Uh, he was a non-entity? Yes, and that he was overwhelmed and was an under-informed parliamentary secretary. And at the time, Marles said he wanted Australia to depend less on commodity exports. When asked what other areas he'd like to see exports grow, he couldn't think of any. He said he had to keep reading the material. So according to Bernard Keene, Marles has hated WikiLeaks ever since. Because it exposed this terrible opinion that the US had of Richard Miles, so it's not their Might be something to that, yeah. What else with the other thing in that? Just still on Richard Miles in that in that release from WikiLeaks. Somewhere I've got too much time on my hands because I saw the link in Bernard Keane's article and I thought, well, oh, have a quick look. So I was looking at the at the leaked report. And one of the interesting things in there was, well, I found this interesting, was that in talking with the Consul General, Richard Marles said that he has a very close relationship with Joe de Bruin, the shop distributive and allied Employees Association National Secretary, i.e. the shoppies, who we all know are this crazy religious union that has been the, a major problem for everybody because they've been very socially conservative. and, uh, and Yeah, but
0: they're communists. Come on, they're, yeah. they're, they're unions. Well,
1: a very Christian conservative union, shoppies, who, by the way, don't represent their members very well at all and are powerful because they have so many members. Like There's lots of people working for Coles and Woolies. But they actually get really poor results for
0: them. If I'm Shae... sure the red union, will yep. stand up for them, the, the red union. I tell no, you no, what, if... the red unions. You the, know red unions? the red unions. Yeah. No. Oh, so nurses and teachers in particular. This is a former member of the LNP who set up these private unions that aren't registered as unions. There's some weird loophole, I don't know, and they're taking membership fees that are half what the existing unions are and they go on about how they're wonderful, but people have said they're more likely to bend over to employers. It was, it was mostly the anti-vaxxers. Okay, it, was ver- so, it was very much freedom of the choice about vaccines.
1: So they set up unions which won't actually collectively bargain, but will, because of discounted union dues, will take people away from a real union that will act for them.
0: That's what the allegations have been. Yeah, have, have a look at Red Unions. It's quite interesting.
1: Okay. Anyway, the shoppies, notoriously poor performers for their people they're supposed to represent. If Shay was in charge, I'm sure they'd get a much better deal. Anyway, so yeah, Richard Miles doing nothing for Julian Assange, possibly angry because WikiLeaks exposed that the Americans had a low opinion mm. of him, and... Just add to your little kit bag of knowledge about Richard Miles that he's in sweep with the shoppies union, and that's not a good sign, I don't think. The more I learn about the current labour mob, the less hope I have. Yeah. John's in the chat room. He's a labour man. He says the shop union is not a union as far as I'm concerned. And Alison says, I'm outraged at the treatment of Julian. Good on you, Alison. And Shay says, can't prosecute. Can persecute. And Alison and says, I highly recommend Nils Melzer's book, The Trial of Julian Assange. Nils was the United Nations Special Rapporteur on torture. And there we go. That's the main ones. See. And Robin's there. D. Anne Watley. There's a host of the usual suspects are there. Probably Alison's mum, Bev's listening as well. All right. Almost um, certainly. Yes, almost certainly. Trump polls, I mentioned previously about Trump and how well he's going, and here's one just on Trump and why he's so hard to beat. And essentially, there is, amongst Republicans, a 37% mugger base that just cannot be shifted. There's a 37% persuadable component, of which 17% lean Trump, 12% lean others. Seventeen percent favor DeSantis. And out of these sort of Republican people, there's really only twenty-five percent that are just not open to Trump. So thirty-seven percent base, thirty-seven percent persuadable, and only twenty-five percent never Trumpers. That's a it's a really
0: worryingly low figure. The scary thing is the allegations that if Trump gets in for a second term, he has People have been saying, and they're going, because they've said it, they're going to claim that's a mandate if he gets elected, that he intends to use executive orders to dismantle all of the safeguards that are in place to stop the president assuming power. Yes. You know, it's one arm of the three arms of government, and he intends to supersede all the other the arms and make it effectively a dictatorship. Yes. And... Fairly important people in this camp have been openly admitting that this is their plan. Wouldn't doubt it.
1: The guy is such a loose cannon with nothing to lose, everything to gain. Of course he's just,
0: what's him? of course he will. I, I think worry to have an accident, it would be in the benefit of most of the world. Not don't just the driving, US.
1: Don't go driving past any grassy knolls. Exactly. Alison's
0: I, I actually wonder if there really is a deep state how he hasn't had an accident.
1: Hmm. Alison was at the Grassy Knoll. She's been there, Seemed seem to recall.
2: I've been there too. Have you? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm. Right. Indigenous education. I spoke last week about culture. And I've got this article that I was going to do last week and we sort of ran out of time. So i just going to read this one. And it's a fair bit to it, but see what you think. Did you guys get a chance to read this one or not? Yeah, I read it
0: whenever you first sent it through.
1: Okay. Did you find it concerning at all, Joe?
0: I think I'll let you read it first, but yes. Okay. All right.
1: First Nations educators are clear they want their own system of education. That's the main message to come out of a landmark report released today by more than 50. First Nations Educators at a apanpa an annual black-only education conference, just east of Alice Springs. The MK Turner Report offers guiding principles, structures and recommendations on what makes a First Nations system of education and what is required to roll it out nationwide. Here's what it looks like in practice. Understanding the difference in a standard school day, a typical school day for a child in the Western education system might be a car drop-off, roll call, class one, recess, class two, and three, lunch, class four, pick up, home. Good for take a bit of sport and music. It's heavy on numbers, big on literacy, and all done in English. First Nations model looks very different. Every day begins with first language. In one community, the school day might start with a bus pickup for both children and parents. Kids are greeted in the language of their country and they travel to school with family and community. They don't have to travel 50 kilometres to go to a brick building that's not welcoming. They get to go to a hub or a space that they know. Gungari woman Stacey Campton, Director of First Nations Education Organisation Children's Ground, tells Crikey rewriting how important it is for a child to be immediately understand that they are welcome. A shared meal might come next, alongside a lesson on nutrition and health, or it could be an hour of singing, dancing and another cultural ceremony, all done in first language and first language only. Kids could help teachers pack the bus for a trip out on country where they're taught to hunt, dig and identify bush foods they can and can't eat. It's a morning of experiential learning and play. Classroom-style teaching might feature later in the day, but First Nations education consultant Gamilaro woman Auntie Joy Armstrong explains that this is all done through the First Nations lens of language, culture and country. The most important thing, she says, is for Indigenous kids to know that they come from the land, as this provides context for everything. Connection to People, Elders, Identity and Aboriginal Law. Quote, You take the time to open your eyes and see what's around you. You would take the time to smell. You could then join in song with what's around and it would be sung in language, Armstrong says. To really have a purposeful life, you need to have energy, she says. And to get that energy is about putting your feet and stomping on the ground. The full sensory experience, sight, smell, sound, taste and touch is critical for Indigenous peoples to understand the spirit and soul of language, country, people and self. Quote, why we haven't reached our potential is because we've been trapped within these four walls and a roof and a curriculum which can only work between four walls and a roof, she says. The founding chair of Children's Ground Arante man, William Tillmouth, calls it assimilation. He says, learning without family, community, country, language and identity is a recipe to lose yourself because you don't know who you are and where you're from. There's a lady, Armstrong. I'm going to try and skip a little bit here because I feel it's going on too long. Why do you need a classroom? People have to love our children. Now you listen to educators. I don't hear that word often within this space or within that space, Armstrong says reiterating that the message that rises above the rest is all of our kids are failing. That's what we as a nation are told. Our kids are behind. They're behind the benchmarks. They're behind this. I wouldn't have any of that language. It's a similar story for Gammeroy woman. and She says, apart from still having to adhere to learning metrics such as that plan, the curriculum is set by mob for mob. And she says her school stands apart from the academic heavy curriculum that dominates Western education by privileging culture that is inherently humble, caring and nurturing and which allows for support of the whole child. Our kids, they know we love them and we're looking out for them, she says. And that in itself just makes a huge difference to the teaching and learning of our school. And the last bit here is... Why a teacher doesn't equal a piece of paper. In the Western system of education, no child, adult or elder qualifies as a teacher unless they possess a certificate of accreditation. Tillmouth says that metric overlooks the 60,000 plus years of knowledge, expertise and lived experience that makes an Aboriginal teacher. Because you're fluent in language, because you're fluent in culture and identity and country, but you don't have a certificate, You're not considered to be worthy of being called a teacher, he says. They do six years of university, but Aboriginal people, our old people, have done 70, 80 years of living under oppression and in extreme circumstances. If they haven't learned something, then you know I'll go. Ah!
2: Well, I don't see any of them them ever graduating on to go into university to become a a doctor. I I, I think...
3: If you're trying to teach people
0: how to live as hunter gatherers, then learning to live off the land and your 60,000 years of culture might be useful. If you want them to succeed in a Western culture, in a Western, well, not even Western, but the rest of the world, if you want them to succeed in the 21st century, trading with Asia. Then they have to be fluent in arithmetic. I, I, I fully understand and empathize. I, I think kids should spend more time outside. I don't see why you can't have lessons out in the bush. You can certainly have science. you can have mathematics out in the bush. You can be doing useful things not stuck in classroom. whilst whilst learning real measurable things, but yeah. Yeah,
2: but I honestly believe that, you know, the the whole criticism of NAPLAN and all that sort of stuff now, you know, it's been years since I've been in a classroom, obviously, but I don't even fully understand what NAPLAN is, but I gather it's some type of test that kids are required to do. Okay, that's fine. But you know, if you're going to have an indigenous school set up exactly the way they're talking about, it, then those kids are just going to keep failing that plan. You know, it's, it's
3: I don't totally,
1: the, reading that does not give me hope that those kids are going to be prepared for the wider modern day society. No, they're not. No.
2: And you know, the, the 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 elders and that sort of stuff are just wanting to always look backwards. And this is why one of the things that I really am very critical of the voice campaigning is that, you know, they they talk about getting voice, then after that, going on to truth and reconciliation, which honestly doesn't worry me, but there's got to be truth from both sides. And that is that they are going to have to accept that their society wasn't all peaceful, you know, that it wasn't all, it wasn't all light and love. You know, it's just one of those things that I honestly believe that we've got to get the truth from both sides.
0: John, I think said this would be after school activities. And certainly I have colleagues at work whose children are half Chinese and they go to Chinese school on the weekend. My daughter went to French school on the weekend, which was all about learning the language, learning the culture. And this was all after school. And in fact, Queensland education provides languages other than English syllabus. They provide the syllabus written in English and then the schools translated into whatever language. So there is a full, here's how to learn about culture. So, you know, one, one lesson is the kitchen and you have a drawing of objects around the kitchen and you translate it into whatever language. And then you say in our culture, this is what we'd be cooking. Mm-hmm. But this is all after school. This is all out of hours and this is, this is you're learning English because that is the language of business in Australia. Mm-hmm. That's what you're learning at school. You're learning mathematics because you need that for business in Australia. To fit into society, that's what you need.
1: If, you know, if you're going to
0: educate the kids that way,
1: then, then don't be surprised or complain when 20 years later the the proportion of kids at university or in difficult jobs or any jobs doesn't match the wider population because yes. you've given them an upbringing that doesn't match the wider population. So don't expect to give that sort of upbringing and yet, and yet tick off a whole bunch of metrics because you just,
3: it's, that's not how it works. Yeah, I agree.
1: Just stop giving respect to this nonsense.
0: But yeah, the the thing about the kids having energy and it mm. them not settling down in class. Mm. I definitely empathize with that. I know that years ago in Scouts, we always had sports at the beginning of the evening. Just so we got all the energy out, because we were all hyped up. It was a Friday mm. evening. We got an hour of chalk rugby or whatever beating the shit out of each other basically. Yes. And then we got down to map reading because if you tried to do that first up, the kids just wouldn't sit still. Yes. And and yeah. so maybe school has become too formalised in that way and maybe we need to burn off a little of the energy up front. Yeah.
1: I don't know what goes on in a modern school and how often they Get out of the classroom. I don't know. But
2: well, then you can always uh, always hope you've got students like me that hated getting out of the classroom because I thought it was boring and a waste of time. But anyway. Mm.
1: Yeah. All right. That's education, according to those Indigenous educators. Right. Came across, I was listening to a podcast called Pivot, which was kind of interesting. And it referred me on to this in California. So, in 1996, dear listener, Californian voters approved Proposition 209, which was a ban on affirmative action at public universities. So, up until that point, there had been some affirmative action where, based on race, people would be getting positions or other things. In preference. And typically, of course, if you're from a minority race, you would get a position that instead of a white person. So, Proposition 209 amended the state constitution in California to prohibit state government institutions from considering race, sex, or ethnicity specifically in the areas of public employment, public contracting, and public education. So, Kind of anti the voice in a way, because the voice is attached to this idea of a special group to parliament, a group of public servants, which is a form of public employment, which will be race based, a kind of affirmative action, I guess. Seems to look like it to me. And in California, so people are saying, well, for starters, won't it be terrible if Australia votes no? We'll just be the Laughing stock. Laughing stock or the pariahs, whatever the community. But it's happened around the world, including California, where they basically had
0: affirmative action and got rid of it. But they also voted Proposition 8, was it? Banning gay marriage. That was the big one. Uh, California is not as left-leaning as we necessarily think. No, probably not but just keep going
1: on with this with this what happened in California so when they put that to the public in 2009 to get rid of affirmative action based on race it was passed by the public 55 to 45 and then in 2019 so a bit over 20 years later there was a proposition 16 was introduced which was to get rid of Proposition 209 and return back to allowing affirmative action. They put it to the people and they said, no, we want to keep it the way that it has been. So Proposition 209 survived and it is still today in California prohibited for state governments to consider race, sex or ethnicity in public employment, public contracting and public education. So uh, what did that do to... The ethnic makeup of first-year enrolment at the University of California. Let me just find the little chart here. I'll bring it up on the screen. Hopefully that will show up. But it was ninety-six that the Proposition Two Hundred Nine was passed. If we look at, say, nineteen ninety-four, so a couple of years beforehand, enrolment, first-year enrolment, University of California. African-American, 37% Asian, 15% Latin Latin American, and 36% white. Now, shortly after Proposition 209, if you look at years 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, basically the African-American participation plummeted from 4.3 down to 2.8. Asian was steady. Latin American dropped from 15 to 11. White increased marginally, 36 to 37. But by the time we get to 2021, the African American percentage, whoa, after compared to 1994, it was 4.3. It's now 5%. Asian was 37%. It's now 34. Latin American was 15%. It's now 37%. And the white percentage first year enrolment in 1994, it was 36% and it's now 20%. So what did they do? They basically changed from using a race-based affirmative action policy to introducing a, an adversity score. So rather than looking at the colour of somebody's skin, they looked at a range of factors which, which basically added up the difficulties somebody had to face that weren't race-related or what weren't directly related to, wasn't exactly the colour of the skin. So, so, for example, at the medical school, so, this is the University of California, Davis. They created the Socioeconomic Disadvantage Scale or the SED and basically ranked applicants from zero to 99, taking into account their life circumstances such as family income, parental education. Admissions decisions were based on that score combined with the usual test scores and. Obviously, if you had two people who were otherwise equal, but one had overcome adversity to get there, then they'd get in in preference to the other one. So according to this report from the New York Times, the disadvantaged scale helped turn the U.S. Davis, the University of California campus, Davis Medical School, one of the most diverse medical schools in the country. And so lots, you would have heard, dear listener, that the Supreme Court ruled against affirmative action programs in the United States. So a number of places are now looking around at what else has been done. They're looking at California and they're saying, hmm, tell us more about this adversity score and how that works. So let me see, the US, University. sorry, UC. University of California Davis scale has drawn attention because of its ability to bring in diverse students using what the school says are race-neutral socioeconomic models. And in its most recent entering class of 133 students, 14% were black, 30% were Hispanic, whereas nationally, 10% of medical school students were black and 12% were Hispanic. So batting above average there on those things. And factors include that they use family income, whether applicants come from an underserved area, whether they help support their nuclear families and whether their parents went to college. Let me see. Uh,
3: mm.
1: Oh, if you're the children of a doctor, you earned an adversity score of zero. And, of course, a number of doctors complained because their children couldn't get into a Californian medical school and had to go to a different state. Uh, Ah. Because, uh, well, they performed really well on tests. So,
0: so don't forget, UC is a public school, public Mm. university. The private universities, however, and they were saying something like 30% of Yale and Harvard students are legacies. Yes. Who get in solely on the fact that their parents went there.
1: Yes. But I think in that decision, I think, didn't that affect legacy
0: enrolments as well? No, it didn't. It didn't? No. So so realistically, you have to get away from legacy Mm. if you want to do this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So anyway, there's some food for thought of a system where... Instead of looking at the colour of your skin, they are looking at family income, whether your parents went to college, community involvement, other stuff as an indicator of your adversity. And
0: I'm guessing uh, they're thinking if your parents are doctors or one of your parents is a doctor, they can afford to send you to a private school. Yes. To a private university as opposed it, to the public university. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so
1: what does it say? It it just said here that it's not easy to persuade medical schools to upend admission standards, particularly anything that undermines the value of test scores and grades. Dr Henderson said he had received pushback from his own colleagues. Doctors say their kids got into medical school elsewhere and they didn't get in here. As the children of doctors, he said, those applicants earned an SED score of zero. So I guess... They couldn't earn an income score. They couldn't earn a score because they were the first in their family to college. They probably didn't earn a score because of a poor public education. Yeah, so there we go. Interesting.
3: Surely they
0: they can get in, but they have to be exceptionally academically. Yes, indeed. Hmm. The other complaint about. Affirmative action Mm. was that the people who got in were not necessarily, they could have excelled in a lesser school. So if, if you're certainly your top tier universities, if you're taking in people based on the color of their skin, not on their ability, Mm. then you are taking in people who may not be able to cope with the pressure and the expectations. Mm of a Mm. top-level school. Mm. And I wonder how they necessarily, if you're you're dealing with people from disadvantaged backgrounds, they're going to have the same sort of thing.
1: Yes, quite possibly. I have heard that before. Mm. Coleman Hughes wrote an article once about how putting kids who had academically underperformed into advanced classes they would invariably be at the bottom of the class mm-hmm. because they had got there through race scores or whatever. And uh, and that was tough on them. They might have had much happier and better experiences if they'd been with a cohort of peers who were more of their standard. Like if you're in a math class and everyone else is a real genius at math, like, it'd be really depressing, wouldn't it? Like you just think you're hopeless. And what would also happen would be a sort of, Basically, it engineered a situation where normally in the class, the poorest performers were ethnic kids, you know, Spanish, Latino and black kids. And it created a, a sense amongst the white kids that the blacks and the Latinos are stupid because they're always in the bottom of the class. But that was because it was a cohort that had been kind of promoted into a class that they really shouldn't have been in in the first place. So almost created a racial stereotype.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there is definitely a correlation between socioeconomic background and performance. Mm. Uh, And uh, there's, there's nothing to do with race that is inherent in this. It is purely, yeah, when you're, when your parents mm. are out working all hours and you're not supervised at home to do your homework, you're more likely to goof off than if your parents are at home. You know, if you've got one parent at work and one parent at home being the homemaker, mm. they're going to make bloody sure you sit down and do your homework, or they're mm. more likely to. Mm. Meanwhile, so, sorry. Well, it was just mm. how how do you deal with that at university level? It's too late by then. Mm. These kids have been disadvantaged from the get-go, and unless you give them the resources to catch up, you know, do Mm. do you run, do you run a remedial class? Do you run an additional year for those people from disadvantaged backgrounds Mm. to bring them up to the same educational standard as their their peers, their cohort? Mm. But sometimes it might not be possible. Like you know, if you're in a really
1: MIT or some of these really top Universities, and you're in a really difficult STEM class, all the training in the world can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Like, you just either have the ability for some of these things or you but don't. Yeah. So, you know, so
0: people who have sorry. the innate intelligence, but mm. don't necessarily have the training, mm. who have been let down by their school or by, you know, just, just their background in general.
1: Yeah. yeah I'm is, just saying it, that you. A year's extra training can't make a rocket scientist out of everybody.
0: No, you no, know, There, there yeah. has to be some innate ability there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, look at us. Tricky conversations around race. Of course, culture is a different thing though, because culture is where people do, does influence things. So, for example, in Indian culture, it's quite the thing to do medical, uh, enter the medical profession in some way. So, culture has a real impact on how people perform. Race, of course, is just a construct. But we talked enough about culture last week. Anyway, that's food for thought for you, dear listener. Hope you enjoyed us treading on dangerous territory yet again. Next week, Scott is going to tangle with Liam. That'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to that.
2: As long as you're going to be a fair moderator.
1: Of course. In my Mr. Spock fashion, I will be <laughs> scrupulously fair. I won't be swayed by emotion.
3: That's good. Yeah. It'll be good. Uh,
1: all right. Until next time. Thanks in the chat room. You've been good. Talk to you next time. Bye for now.
2: It is a good night from me. And it's a good night from him.
3: Good night.